The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. I got one question for you, and then we're going to dive into our, our text. Um, I'm curious. Um, I'm, I'm as up for a road trip as anybody on the planet these days. I think uh, Apple Play, Spotify, and podcasts have made road trips better than ever, right? You can listen to any song you want. Um, but how many of you agree, I have done uh, more often than typical uh, what I believe to be the, the ugliest short road trip on the planet. That stretch of I-45 between here and Dallas, I believe to be the most depressing stretch of highway on the entire planet. And uh, I don't know what it is about it, but it literally, like you, about halfway through, you're like, I need Prozac, I need something. <laughs> My life is not working out well. Um, how many of you have made that stretch? I'm trying to think of the kind pastoral way to say this. And, um, and you have literally put yourself in physical pain trying to hold it to stop at Bucky's. How many of you have done that <laughs> at some point, right? You have felt the pain. And it's, it's amazing to contemplate, right? I mean, they built an empire based on one idea, clean bathrooms, right? I mean, that's it, right? And what people will do to spend their money and go to use a clean bathroom is pretty remarkable. And it actually illuminates some of the texts that we're gonna look at today um, in that I believe most of us by very human nature, at least I am, I'm not OCD in regular life, but I'm OCD about public restrooms, right? And I don't like to be in them. I don't wanna touch anything. I remember the struggles of having a toddler because your kids don't understand, like you don't touch anything in here, right? They'll grab the toilet and, and you're trying to instill your phobias in your children, right? to let them know, like the goal when you go to a public restroom is to get in and out without touching anything, right? So how many of you flush with your foot, right? So those of you that don't, you're gonna die because you've touched the germs from our shoe. So that tells you how disgusting that handle really is, right? Um, I, I think most of us live our lives that way, right? And it's part of what makes the story of Christ that we're gonna hear in John 5 today and the patterns really for the church so remarkable is that where everybody flees, darkness, sickness, disease, Jesus tends to move towards it, right? I mean, just think right now, what's the posture of the world towards Wuhan, China, right? Right, like if your spouse buys you a flight to China right now, you know what she thinks of you, right? <laughs> She's like, I, I really think it's time for you to take a road trip to China. Right? Oh, what, why, babe? Why do you want? This says Wuhan on the destination. Why do you want me to go there? Right? That very few of us move towards the sick and the hurting. We tend to move away. We want to keep our distance. We, even those of us that are not in danger of this virus, instantly, we're, we're not even able to mourn with and pray for the people that are there because some of us are like, who's going to get it here, Right? We're, we start to worry about ourselves instinctively. And so it's part of what makes this passage in John 5 so unique is that Jesus, I love, uh, I love this passage for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons I love it is that um, a lot of things that happened with Jesus, we don't know exactly where it happened. Um, I, I love this one because it gave us just a couple of context clues so that we go to, when we go to Jerusalem, I'm gonna be back there in 10 days on this spot. 
and I, I'll get to go again to where this text happened. It tells us that it's by the Sheep's Gate, which is still a gate in the old city, and that it, it's a, 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 a place where there were a number of porches and pools, and it's really easy when you get there. It's close to the Al-Aqsa Mosque. It's right at the Sheep's Gate, and you go in, and this uh, archaeological dig has dug up where the pools of Bethesda were. This was a place, the text is going to tell us, where sick people, diseased people, hurting people, disabled people waited to be healed. This is the kind of place, if there's a bunch of sick people, everybody else avoided it, especially in the ancient world. But Jesus goes towards it. And that's part of what we're going to look at and talk about today. What does it look like to be a part of a story where we actually move towards sickness and disease? What does it mean to be a part of a story where for those of us that are hurting, and a need of healing spiritually, emotionally, and some of the circumstances around our life, we actually have a hope that our Savior is moving towards us, not away from us. I I had my own experience in moving, and I believe there's a lot of pools of Bethesda across the world. I'm gonna tell you a little bit about my trip uh, to the Colombia-Venezuela border uh, over the last week. This is what I'd tell you, is that in getting back from the border, um, I, I come back from these places where there's so much need and I'm a bit overwhelmed, and on Friday, I got back, and I was like, oh, I'm just, it's so good to be home, right? Anybody else, like, your own pillow is, like, you just, I love that pillow so much. I, I love that pillow more than most people. And, um, and, and I just, I, you get home, and I was just so thrilled to see my kids and just settle in. And on Friday, I had gotten up at 4, 4.30 a.m. at the Venezuela border. It was a long day traveling home at about 10 p.m. I pour myself a really good drink and I'm gonna go to sleep. And just as I poured this drink, I, um, and I'm starting to teeter off, right? I hear a beating on my door. It's 10 p.m. Like, this was, some, this was not just a knock. This was a beating on my door. And I get to my door and I, uh, I open it and I find a young woman that I didn't know. She was disheveled, she was screaming and crying. And she asked, can I come in quickly? Then she asked me to lock the door. And she begins to tell me the story of, um, of what she had just run from, that she was in a car with a man who was attacking her. Uh, he had taken her cell phone and she managed to jump from a moving car. And she ran towards my neighborhood and directly towards my house. And uh, she, was, she was hurting and scared. And we spent a couple hours, I had to try to track down her family. They were sleeping and I kept thinking like, why aren't I sleeping and your family could be here to do this? And she just kept saying like, I can't believe God directed me uh, to the house of a pastor, like God brought me here. And, uh, and I kept saying, yeah, God, you brought her here, right? Like, <laughs> like can a guy catch a break, you know? And I've just come from this place of like so much need. And I, I get back and it's like, there's so much need. And we finally got her settled and a family member that could take her to the police station and file a report. And I got to pray for her and be a blessing to her. I got a couple hours of sleep, literally, I'm not kidding you, before our, our fire alarms malfunction. <laughs> 3 a.m., and we have high ceilings, so I'm on a ladder. My son comes down at 3 a.m., you know, and literally is like, what the, dad, what are you, you're on a ladder and the fire alarms are going off and they weren't the battery kind, right? So I had to literally just like cut wires to make it stop. And there are these places for me that I just go like, I get the story of Jesus and I wanna enter into places of pain and sorrow, but I'm like, I got my own pain. 
I've got my own sorrow. I've got my own troubles. And so I want to invite you today as we open this text, and it's one of the reasons that I'm teaching you, but I'm not teaching you today. Because I was literally just gone, I'm at my limit, right? And so I'm really blessed. I'm at a tag team with Wayne today. And I said, hey, Wayne, how about I do the first part of the passage and you do the second part? Because all weekend, you know what I've needed? I've needed to hear from Wayne. And the words that he shared have brought a lot of hope to me in the midst of my own struggles and pain and sorrows. And I'm confident that it'll likely do the same for you. I wonder, Ecclesia, Ecclesians, what does it look like to be a people that are moving towards the pools of Bethesda in the world? the places of sorrow, pain, sickness, and disease. What does it look like as well to see ourselves as the people at the pool who've lost all hope? Anybody here that feels like you've lost some hope? Just, just me? Okay. And in that place of having lost hope, that all of a sudden you find out that the Savior, the one who can change things for you, is actually moving towards you, and you find a hope in that place? Or maybe like me, you'll, you'll enjoy the vantage point of just imagining being a disciple who's following Jesus into this place and going, hey, why are we going here? What are we doing here? And then realizing that they're a part of Jesus' work in this place and finding great hope in it. So in John chapter five, this is what it tells us. Well, first, let me tell you about my trip. That's what I forgot to do. In the pools of Bethesda in my world for the last week have been at the Colombia-Venezuela border. And if you're an Ecclesian and you've been around for about a year, we've, uh, this is my fourth trip back since we began some work there. And there just aren't a lot of people helping our brothers and sisters in Venezuela. And it's the worst humanitarian crisis of our day. Uh, on par with something like what we've experienced in Syria. And so this week, we, uh, we, well, we went in part, I, the timing didn't, I really wanted to be here last week and there are other things going on, but we had an Ecclesian uh, who offered a free plane and I have a rule, I never turn down free planes. So, um, so we got to fly in with supplies and people. This is a group of 24 uh, Venezuelan pastors and their spouses who we got together and just hear from them. Uh, what were the needs? What, what's going on? We heard several things over and over again. Food, food for, for, uh, for children, food for older people, uh, medicine. Um, we just kept hearing those same things over and over and over again. Uh, we got to take them out to some amazing dinners. Uh, Ecclesia, you gave, um, you gave all 24 pastors uh, a new cell phone. And uh, for them, like a farmer needs a shovel, a pastor in this day, especially in Venezuela that needs to communicate with the rest of the world, needs a cell phone. I've literally watched a, a, a room full of grown men cry when we handed them a cell phone because it's, uh, it's their way to stay connected to family that's abroad and to serve the Lord. And they were just so thrilled. We ate great food together. We laughed a lot and we cried a lot at the sorrow. Many of them are pastors by default. They're pastors that were in churches where the pastors had an opportunity to leave and they did. And now they feel like they're responsible for people and they're not quite sure what to do. I spent a lot of, of time with the, the Yupa tribe there. You're gonna hear more about these people. These are Indian indigenous people to Venezuela. That as things have gotten so desperate in Venezuela, they've moved over the Colombian border. They live in a place with no access to water, uh, hygiene, sanitation, bathrooms. Uh, it's a difficult life and their story is challenging and difficult. A lot of people suffering and need of food and the basics. And I'm blessed that we get to be a part of helping provide that. We're working on a partnership with Living Water that would help bring 
delivering water access and hygiene and sanitation services uh, in this area. I, I, I could tell you this, there are a lot of opportunities to go uh, to the border this year. Um, we can literally, we can give you all the instructions you need. You could literally plan your own trip. We have people there that would give you opportunities to serve. I would go alone just to have the experience of when you walk along the bridge, there's areas of need. We, um, we support and run a bakery at the church that employs a lot of Venezuelan women. They make cakes like this. And I'll just tell you, it would be worth it just to do what we did here where you just, go, we buy cakes from the ladies that we've hired and then we take those cakes out into the street and just give out cake. You should do this in your own neighborhood anyway. Just give out cake and see how people respond to you. People like you when you give them cake. But I'm telling you, at the border here where people are hungry, you get smiles like this from this kid and it would be worth it for you to fly to Cucuta just to give out cake for a day and fly back home you would feel different about yourself in the world just based on that experience alone. I, I'm gonna tell you a lot more, but I, I gotta tell you this, Ecclesia, that we get to be a part together of moving towards the places where people are hurting, not away, and that's what we keep hearing. There are people there that have seen me come four times and they keep going like, you're coming back? You came here, but you're coming back? I said, I'm not coming back. My whole church is coming back because I'm bringing the resources of our church and they find so much encouragement in the fact that they are seen and known in those places. So in John 5, this is what it tells us about the story. And I wanna invite you to consider your place in it. Maybe you feel like the man that needs healing. Maybe you feel like you're a part of what Jesus is doing and his restorative work in the world. This is what it tells us in John 5, that when these events were completed, Jesus led his followers to Jerusalem where they would celebrate a Jewish feast together. They were coming for the Passover, the time you wanted to be in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, they came upon a pool by the sheep gate, still there today, sometimes called the Lion Gate, very close to Al-Aqsa Mosque. And one of the reasons I love this site is that they've also built a church with the best acoustics in the world in that church. And it's a place where groups come and they sing. If you stay there very long, you'll hear a Christian group come sing hymns in Mandarin, then in Spanish, then in German, then in English. And it's a little taste of heaven to hear people sing in these languages. It tells us that there were five covered porches there. It's one of the reasons we know it's the spot. And in Hebrew, this place is called Bethesda. And crowds of people lined the area. They're lying around the porches. Literally, just picture sick people, hurting people, disabled people, just spilling over everywhere. All of these people were disabled in some way. Some were blind, lame, paralyzed, or plagued by diseases. And they were waiting for the waters to move. From time to time, a heavenly messenger would come to stir the water in the pool and whoever reached the water first and got in after it was agitated would be healed of his or her disease. In the crowd, it tells us, right? A massive crowd. And what does Jesus do? It tells us Jesus, Jesus noticed, say it with me, one particular man. Jesus comes and he notices one particular man who had been living with his disability for 38 years. Now remember at this time, 38 years would be the typical lifespan of a person, all of his life. And he knew this man had been waiting here a long time. Ecclesia Wayne's gonna teach us the rest of this passage. I wanna invite you to consider what God would say to you about what it is like to be this person in need of healing, what it's like 
to be a disciple alongside Jesus, what it's like to join with Jesus in his work of restoring all people in all places. And I believe today this text is a text of hope and encouragement for each of us. Lord God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you that as a church, we still enter into the story of Jesus and we're moving towards, as much as our DNA wants us to pursue the Bucky's life, the cleanest, safest life possible, you've called us on a greater adventure. You've called us to lean in in places where people are suffering. And God, we thank you that like Jesus in the story, we find hope and encouragement by being a part of others' healing. We pray that in that place, we could also experience our own healing in places that we suffer and that we know pain, in places that we know sorrow and loss and rejection and the sting of broken relationships, that in all of those places today, God, you would meet us. We thank you for our brother Wayne, for his teaching and encouragement. We thank you for the things you're doing in our body. We pray all of this together and we pray it in your name, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thanks, Chris. And uh, hey, I'm Wayne. I get to be the campus pastor at Ecclesi over on the west side and so humbled and honored to get to step in WWE style off the top rope, right? Tagging in. So uh, we're going to try to come up with a good wrestling name for the two of us. If you guys have any ideas, see me after. I'd love to hear. So, uh, But we're going to step in. I'm going to pick up where Chris left off. And what's going on is Jesus is going to step in. He's going to do a miracle. But John, who's writing this, doesn't call it a miracle. He calls it a sign. And he uses that word very intentionally. And you're well aware with this word. We have signs everywhere. You passed so many signs on your way here this morning. It told you which lane to be in. It told you which direction you're going. It told you how to get to where you want to go. It told you where to have caution, where to yield, where to stop and pause so that you can get where you need to go safely. And that's why John uses this word because Jesus does something that's pointing the way forward for us. And that's helping us get where we need to go. So we're going to pick up where we left off. So Jesus says to the disabled man, are you here in this place hoping to be healed? Now, if I'm totally honest, so often when I read that for the first time, my first question is, Jesus, are you kind of being a smart aleck here? What else would that guy be doing there, right? Of course he's there because he wants to be healed, but there's actually something really gentlemanly-like in the fact that Jesus pauses to see this man and ask this question. That he says, I'm not gonna force myself on you. I'm not gonna do anything for you that you don't want to actually happen. And maybe this is the first time that somebody's paused and stopped and asked this man a question. What is it that you're hoping for? And can I say to you, that's who God is. And there's something really redemptive and restoring in us having the courage to articulate to God and maybe to those around us, this is where I'm hurting, this is what I'm hoping for, this is what I need. Well, look at the man's response. He says, kind sir, I wait like all of these people for the waters to be stirred, but I cannot walk. If I am to be healed in the waters, someone must carry me to the pool. Without a helping hand, someone else beats me to the water's edge each time it is stirred. And what's interesting about this is you get a sense for how hopeless this man really is. He's so hopeless, he doesn't even ask Jesus, would you heal me? 
He's so hopeless, he doesn't even ask, would you, willing to be, would you be willing to be the person to sit with me and to carry me to the water's edge? Doesn't do it, because he knows what he would be asking. It says, from time to time, the waters would stir. They don't know when it's gonna happen. Essentially, he'd be asking, Jesus, would you be willing to put your entire life on hold and to sit here with me in this place and hope to be there whenever the waters stir and hope to get there first. He's lost all hope and he's just explaining his place of despair. And maybe you're here and you're in that place and you feel hopeless and you feel like you've got a lifetime of pain. Maybe you're going through a divorce. Maybe you're caring for someone and their health is failing and it's hard and it's dark. Maybe your kids are in a place where they're making choices that are destructive and it's breaking your heart and you don't know what to do. Can I just say to you that that's where God draws near. And if it feels like God is silent, maybe that's a sign and a marker that he's in solidarity with you. That he's not there showing up with a cliche, but he just sits like a good friend. Right? You ever been in that place where you're hurting and somebody shows up with a cliche and you're like, get that out of my face, right? It'd be better if you were just quiet. <laughs> Maybe that's what God is doing for you here because his pattern is to show up in the darkest places. So look at what Jesus says to the man. He says, stand up, carry your mat and walk. That's really important. We're gonna come back to that in a second. But look at what happens. It says, at that moment, at the moment Jesus uttered these words, a healing energy coursed through the man and returned life to his limbs. He stood and walked for the first time in 38 years. Unbelievable. But this was the Sabbath. And any work, including carrying a mat, was prohibited on this day. So the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, must you be reminded that it is a Sabbath? you are not allowed to carry your mat today. Now we're gonna pause here. So it's really easy to jump in and be really judgmental and be like, uh, you guys totally missed the boat. They did. But there's something really beautiful about these practices that they were trying to protect. So last year I got to go to the Holy Land with Chris and one of my favorite things was that we got to enter into some people's home. They invited us in their home to share a Shabbat meal. It was so inspiring. It was so beautiful to watch this dad call each one of his kids up and to say a blessing over each one of them and to know that they do this every Friday night just gave me a lot of inspiration. How am I speaking and blessing my kids, right? Uh, so as we were preparing to go in, they gave us a lot of instructions because sometimes culture's different and you could do some things that may be offensive or makes it hard for people and you have no idea. So they're giving us all kinds of instructions. And one of the instructions they gave us was if you need to go to the restroom, they've already prepped it for you. You can go in, that's totally fine. Just make sure that whatever you do, don't turn the light switch off on your way out. And I thought, well, thanks for telling me because that's totally what I would do. My mom taught me when you're the last person to leave the room, you turn the light switch off, this is it, right? That's how you be kind and respectful and courteous to everybody else. So I was like, hey, tell me more about that. What's the deal? And they said, there's a there's a teaching in the scriptures, in the Hebrew scriptures, where it says, you're not to kindle any fire on the Sabbath day, because that would be considered work. And if you've ever been in a dark room when you flip on the light switch and you can see a spark, that's why they won't flip on the light switch, is that might be considered kindling a fire. And so if you turn off the light switch, if they haven't already lit candles, like they just go in the dark, right? And so 
there's something really inspiring and beautiful about the way these people do something very intentionally different on this day than every other day because it's a reminder and it was intended for people coming out of slavery where their whole worth, everything about them was predicated on how many bricks can you make? What can you produce? What can you do for me? And this was intended to remind them and restore the humanity in them that they were not a human doing, they are a human being. And I left that meal with a lot of reverence and inspiration of I need a little bit more Sabbath in my life. I need a little bit more guardrails that protect this day more than any other day. And my hope for you is that today you have some Sabbath. That yes, watch the game, have that on your screen, but maybe you put away the other screens and you have some time to sit and be with people and talk and be a human being, not a human doing. That's what this was meant to do. But so often what happens, and I am guilty of this, when I see something that doesn't fit my norm, when I see something that is maybe a little off to me, I react the way they do. And I react with condemnation. And they ask questions, right? Must you be reminded? Do I really have to tell you again? Is this how it's gonna go? But what if we responded, what if we became people who acted with curiosity and said, maybe there's more to this story? I mean, imagine how dignifying it is for this man to carry his mat, right? There's more going on. What if we became the people who were more curious? And so the formerly disabled man said to, to them, the man who healed me gave me specific instructions to carry my mat and go. The Jewish leader said, who is the man who gave you these instructions? How can we identify him? And the man genuinely did not know who it was that had healed him. In the midst of the crowd and the excitement of his renewed health, Jesus had slipped his way, slipped away. Sometime later, Jesus found him in the temple and again spoke to him. And he says, take a look at your body. It has been made whole and strong. So avoid a life of sin or else a calamity greater than any disability may befall you. And again, Jesus here isn't saying, so the response is to get rid of all the rules. He's saying this rule was about elevating your humanity. And again, that's what he's calling this man into. That sin is actually when we treat ourselves or others or God or his creation with less respect and in an inhumane way, it makes us less than human. It floods our souls with toxins like greed and guilt and shame and arrogance and selfishness and despair. And what Jesus invites us into is a life where we actually receive his love and receive his grace. And in that way, he puts a new heart in us and he restores our humanity to us. And what God is saying, what Jesus is inviting us into is to a life where we actually become more whole and more human. So the man went immediately to tell the Jewish leaders that Jesus was the mysterious healer. So they began pursuing and attacking Jesus because he performed these miracles on the Sabbath. And so Jesus answered his attackers and he said, my father is at work, so I too am working, right? Essentially saying, it's never a bad day for God to show up and do some healing and restoring. He's in that business, that's what he's always doing. If you fast forward to John chapter seven, he actually calls this out and he says, referring back to this time, you guys give me a hard time for this, 
but there's a custom among the people of Israel where on the eighth day, if they have a, a boy, a baby boy, they would circumcise him to mark that as he's a part of the family of Abraham, he's a part of the covenant. And they would make an exception to do that on the Sabbath day if the eighth day fell on that day. And so he says, you make an exception to take away a part of somebody's body in order to keep the law on the Sabbath day. Why wouldn't you make the same exception to make somebody whole? And that's what Jesus is inviting us into. So we talk about signs. And with this going on, it'd be easy for us to miss some of what Jesus is pointing to. And as Chris mentioned, Jesus points out one particular man. And that's a sign. And if I'm honest, so often in my life, I look at whether or not God is answering my prayers or taking away my pain, I see that as a sign of his absence. And if everyone in that crowd had the same marker, if they saw it the same way, everyone except for that one man would say that Jesus didn't show up that day. But what we find over and over again is that's where Jesus draws near. This was on the Sabbath, which means this was a close walk for him. Maybe he intentionally chose where he was going to stay so that he was in proximity of this place. If you're in a place of pain, just know this is where God draws near. It's like Psalm 23 where it says, even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear evil because you are with me. Can I say to you that when it feels like God is silent and not working, that may be a sign that he's sitting in solidarity with you. Or maybe it's like this. When I graduated seminary, I was looking for a job and I found a job teaching high school math and coaching high school football. Um, I liked the coaching high school football. The teaching wasn't really for me. I wasn't, <laughs> I was one and done. Couldn't do it, right? So much respect for all you teachers out there. Love what you do. But I'll never forget this one game where one of my, uh, one of the folks I was, he was on my position group, I was his position coach. He went in to make a tackle and you could tell immediately he's moving really slow. In fact, he's not moving at all. And he just stayed on the ground. So I rushed out with the trainer to go check on this young man. And we start talking to him and asking him questions and we get the news. He says, I can't feel my legs. And I was horrified. I knew his parents and his family were up in the stands couldn't imagine what they were going through. And we were there as we were waiting for more help to come. It was minutes, but it felt like an eternity. So we're there, we're just trying to keep him calm, ask him questions, figure out how do we care for this young man. And after a few moments, he says, I can start to feel my toes. And you can see him start to wiggle his feet a little bit. I can start to feel my legs. And so we're asking him, what does it feel like? And he says, it's actually pretty painful. And when he described it, it's almost like when your arm or your leg falls asleep and the blood starts to rush in and you get the pins and needles pain sensation. Can I say to you that I have never been so grateful to hear that someone around me was in pain as in this moment? Because it was a sign that he was gonna be okay. Our capacity to feel pain is actually what gives us the capacity to walk. And I don't know if this man couldn't feel his legs before, but I know he never had a stub toe or a skinned knee or a sprained ankle. And in this moment, Jesus showed up and gave him that capacity. Thank you, Jesus, right? 
is it possible that the pain in your life may actually be a sign of healing in another place? Or is it possible that that pain is a sign that you now have capacity to walk places or with people that you would never have been able to before? And it's important that this healing energy didn't course back through his limbs until the moment where Jesus invited him to carry his mat. Think about that mat. It's the physical manifestation of all his hopelessness for 38 years. Think of how tattered and worn it must have been. Maybe it had his imprint, maybe it was faded and you could actually see the outline of where he was because of the sunlight from where he laid on it. Let's not think about what it smelled like, right? That's the thing I wanna leave. That's the thing I don't wanna carry with me. But Jesus' invitation is you need to carry that with you. Right? It's your mat, it's your pain that allows you to walk with people. So when I graduated high school, I got a chance to go play um, college football at a place called Millsaps College in Jackson, Mississippi. It's a small division three liberal arts college. And I come from a really conservative Christian high school. So to go to a liberal arts college, uh, let's just say I was exposed to some ideas and some questions about God and faith and spirituality I'd never really uh, been exposed to before, right? And it caused me to question a whole lot of things. And Mississippi for me felt like a different country, right? Like it was just different. And I felt like an outsider everywhere I went. So I felt alone. I had all these questions. Up to that point in my life, it was the hardest, darkest season of my life. And then my sophomore year came where I just hit a slump. I, was, I played wide receiver and I had the kind of slump that if you had put me buck naked in the Arctic Circle, I would not have caught a cold. I couldn't catch a thing. If it touched me, it was going on the ground, right? I was in that kind of slump and it was in my head and uh, naturally I got demoted, right? I got pulled off the travel squad. I couldn't go to road games anymore. And I felt so humiliated. I felt like a failure. And what you need to know is that I attributed so much value and so much of my identity was wrapped up in being the best player on the team. And so this was really, really hard. This was a blow. Now looking back on it, I'm so grateful for what I learned in that season. So two weeks ago when I was prepping and writing the sermon, to share over on the west side. I got a text from one of my former teammates at Millsaps. He and his wife live here in the Houston area. Um, they actually are part of Ecclesia. they come here. And he texts me and he says, I've got a coworker who has a son that's a freshman wide receiver at Millsaps. He comes from a really conservative Christian high school. He's having a lot of like doubts and struggles with the environment he's in and he's having a really hard time. Basically, would you be willing to meet with a perfect stranger and talk about one of the darkest times in your life when you felt most like a failure, right? I'd rather talk about my highlight reel, if I'm being honest. But I said, sure, let's go do this. And we met for coffee and we talked. And there was an instant connection with this young man. He's a good kid. I can't wait to see what comes from his life. And I'm hopeful that we're gonna get to walk together in the years to come but it was because of our shared pain that we get to walk together. Is it possible that your invitation is to share your pain and that somehow in that, you get to witness the healing of somebody else and somehow in that, God actually 
restores and redeems and heals even a lifetime of pain that you've endured. And then lastly, maybe you're like the disciples who look at the crowds and you're paralyzed by the fact that this is overwhelming, right? You look at Venezuela, you look at China, you look in your neighborhood and you're like, what can we possibly do? There's no way I can possibly take care of all of that. I love that Jesus doesn't feel the burden to take care of all of that. He just picks one person and says, I'm gonna walk with you and I'm gonna give you the capacity to walk with others. So maybe for you, maybe you get a chance to go to Venezuela. Maybe you can give so somebody else can go to Venezuela. But you don't have to go there because there's people that are hurting and in pain in the cubicle next to you on your kid's soccer team, at the grocery store, in your neighborhood. What would it look like for us to become the people who look for those places where we can say, me too. I know that pain and you're not alone. I'm here with you. I think it's a lot like this passage in Isaiah in chapter 40 where it says, why then do you Jacob, inheritors of God's promise, you Israel chosen of God, Why do you say my troubled path is hidden from the eternal? God has lost all interest in my cause. Don't you know? Haven't you heard? The eternal, the everlasting God, the creator of the whole world never gets tired or weary. My father is always at work. He doesn't need the Sabbath, that's for us. That's to make us more healthy and more whole. His wisdom is beyond understanding. God strengthens the weary and gives vitality to those worn down by age and care. Young people will get tired. Strapping young men will stumble and fall. Pain, struggle, doubt, it will come. We can't get rid of it. But those who trust in the eternal one will regain their strength. They will soar on wings as eagles. They will run, never winded, never weary. They will walk, never tired never faint. May you, my brothers and sisters, may you see pain and silence as a sign of God's solidarity with you. May you see others carrying their mat or doing the things that are outside what you think is normal or customary. And may you respond with curiosity instead of condemnation. May you have the courage to carry your mat, to share your pain. And in so doing, may you find healing. May you have the faith to walk with even just one person, knowing it might not change the whole world, but it just might change their whole world. And it just might change your whole world too. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.